Okay, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 27, reading from verse 3. Matthew 27, verse 3. And remember, we are studying the chronological life of Jesus. And Jesus has just undergone the third trial, the third religious trial, which we, we covered last week. It was his third religious trial. And he's en route to his first civil trial. And, uh, um, and, and it's going to be administered by Pilate and the Roman government. And then, but there's a change of scene here now in the Scriptures. And during this change of scene, it tells us what Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, it tells us what he's doing now, that Jesus has been condemned. So he's condemned in the religious trial. And now it says in, in uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 3, Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and he returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said to him, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money brought, bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called a field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of one who, whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. So you see that what happens is Judas sees that Jesus is condemned. And now all of a sudden he feels remorse. This is not a repentance. There are two words that are used. There's a remorse that leads to repentance. And there's two words in the Greek. This is the one that's used that has no connotation of repentance. He was not turning away. He felt bad. And you will sometimes meet people that will commit, uh, uh, commit some sin and they feel bad about it. But that feeling bad has to turn them now to God. Turn them to a point of salvation. And I have met people actually that have committed gross crimes and they feel bad about it. But they will not turn to Jesus. In fact, they refuse to turn to Jesus, but they still feel bad. So remorse is not repentance. Judas felt remorse. So he takes the 30 pieces of silver and he brings them to the chief priest saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said to him, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And we'll, we'll look at this more in a minute. And so he just took the pieces of silver. He threw them into the temple sanctuary. And it says in verse 5, and he went away and he hanged himself. Remember that. He went away and he hanged himself. When people hang themselves... They tie a rope to some object, they tie it around their neck, and they usually jump off something, and there's a, a short drop, and, and uh, uh, the neck snaps. That's what happens when somebody hangs themselves. And it says that the chief priests said, it's not lawful to put, the temp put this money into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. But remember, they got the money out of the temple treasury. 
they bought this man off. So all of a sudden, now they're starting to feel religious. They said, we can't put this in the temple treasury. So again, you see the hypocrisy of it all. They took it out of the treasury to, 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 to bribe him, and now they can't put it back in the treasury. But remember, 30 pieces of silver was the price of a dead slave. That's what they valued Jesus at. That is the amount that they paid Judas. Judas did not negotiate for this. They said, we'll give you the amount of a dead slave. That's how much he was worth to them. Then it says, and and with it, they bought the potter's field. So they bought, but they had to buy it in Judas's name. So they bought this potter's field in Judas's name as a burial site for the poor dead people. But it turns out that is going to be the site where many Jews will ultimately be buried. And we'll, we'll look at that. And so... Uh, They bought this potter's field. Now we're going to look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. The writer of the book of Acts is speaking about an event that is taking place just a matter of of, uh, uh, days after the ascension of Jesus. Fifty days after, within this 50-day period. It may have been on the day of Pentecost. It may have been the day before. But it's just within this 50-day period from the death of Jesus and, and, and uh, um, uh, it, it's, it's just um, about 10 days after the ascension. It says, brethren, this is in Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and he received his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his intestines gushed out. And it has become known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so in their own language, that field was called Hekaldama, that is, field of blood, or field of slaughter. And and back in, in, in Matthew, it says that it's called the field of blood to this day. So, in other words, Matthew was writing his gospel sometime after the events took place, and he says, to this day, it's called the field of blood. But again, Matthew's gospel was written before the 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem. So, remember the picture of hanging? Have you ever heard of someone being hung and then falling headlong? Usually, their head stays up here. They don't fall headlong, and certainly they don't burst open in the middle and their intestines gush out. That's not the picture of hanging, is it? Not normally. Now, you could, you could come with some scenario in your mind that, you know, the rope broke and then he fell down and it was a really hard fall because it's... Or we could say, what else might be happening here? How could they both be right? And the easiest thing to do in reading the Scriptures is to say, oh, I just detected a, 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 uh, an incongruency here, and therefore the scriptures are all messed up and they're wrong. No, it's only that we're novices, and that's why we think the scriptures are wrong. Remember, the rabbis are functioning now under the Mishnaic law. The Mishnaic law are the rules of men, the rules of the rabbis, which they say came from God, but they were in contrast to the to the uh, to the, the the laws of Moses, the 613 commandments of Moses, they were in contrast to that, and these were the very rules that Jesus himself would not follow. But one of their rules was this: if a dead body is found in the city, 
during the Passover, the city becomes defiled and they cannot have the Passover sacrifice. So this is the morning. Shortly after this time, they're going to have the Passover sacrifice. They can't have the Passover sacrifice if there's a dead body within the city. So when you make one rule for men, now you have to have another rule to deal with it. So there's another rule in the Mishnah to deal with that rule. And the rule in the Mishnah is, if a dead body is found in the city, then you can take that dead body and you can throw it over the wall and dispose of the body, and then you can go after the Passover and you can deal with it. So that's exactly what they would do with a body, anybody, but they did that with, with Judas's body. It makes perfect sense. They threw it over the wall and they, throw it, they threw it into the Valley of Hinoam, not just any wall. It had to be over the wall in the Valley of Hinoam. This is a very steep wall with a very steep valley. The dead body goes, they throw him into the valley. That would result in splitting open and guts gushing out. That would make perfect sense with Judaism of that day. But remember, it wasn't just any wall. It had to be over the wall for the Valley of Hinoam. So here's what, what Israel looks like. You have this, this, this Palestine, this nation of Israel. And, and, and from your perspective... From your perspective, on one side, on this western side, so, so if this is Israel, on the western side, your western side, as you're looking, looking at this, there, there's, this um, uh, there's this valley, that's the valley of Hinoam, and it comes down and then it curves around. There's another valley on the eastern side, that's the Kidron Valley, it comes down and, and the two valleys then cross. Okay, does that make sense? They come down and they cross. That's how it works. So the two valleys. The Kidron Valley was the valley that Jesus would often cross to go to the Mount of Olives. You go down into the Kidron Valley and back up the slope onto the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus would normally spend his evenings. And then just over the, the top of the Mount of Olives, halfway down, you, you, get, you, you get to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, where he often stayed. You go to the other side. On the western side, you have, you have this, this, this valley of... Hinoam. Hinoam, sometimes it's called in the Bible Hinoam. Sometimes it's called Ben-Hinoam. This has been Hellenized by the Greek and, and, and uh, uh, sometimes this Hinoam has become uh, uh, Gehenna. This Hinoam is Hellenized, meaning turned into the Greek and Gehenna. This is this valley of death, this valley of burning that's referred to in the New Testament very often, that he went to Gehenna, this burning valley. What happened in this valley is really interesting. In fact, Matthew quotes this. If you go up to, if you look in Matthew 27, verse 9, then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. So Jeremiah prophesied some things, and then Matthew actually quotes Zechariah. Matthew quotes from Zechariah, but he's fulfilling a lot of what Jeremiah said. That which Jeremiah said has been fulfilled. And now he quotes from Zechariah, which is perfectly fine. He's, he's quoting Zechariah as well. It's fulfilled the things in Zechariah. Well, let's look what God said about the Valley of Hinoam. Let's turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 7. And this is the beautiful thing about the Scriptures. If you think the Scriptures are wrong, again, it's only in your novice view. These things were written, what we're going to read, were written 600 years, 650 years before the birth of Jesus. And the prophecy of what would take place here. And it says, it says in, in Jeremiah chapter 7, 
We're going to start reading from verse 30. And let me put this in context. Jeremiah is prophesying to some really nasty kings during his lifetime. And what he's doing is he's prophesying. He's saying, because you have had sacrifice, they would sacrifice their own children. That's how bad it got. Israel would take their own children. Judah would take their own children in Jerusalem. And they'd go out to where? The Valley of Hinoam. And they'd go out to this Valley of Hinoam. And it was, it was a place called Topheth. And they would sacrifice their own children in the Valley of Hinoam in this place of Topheth. That's exactly where they bought the potter's field. That's exactly where Judas's body was thrown. And it turns out that there was a prophecy concerning that. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 30, For the sons of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house which is called by my name. They have built high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command. And it did not come even into my mind. And then in verse 32, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth because there is no other place. The dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the sky and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will make to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land will become a ruin. And this prophecy is again spoken about in Jeremiah chapter 19 again. And he says, you're going to bury in Topheth. Until you bury and bury and there's no more room left to bury. Do you know how many people got buried in one year in Topheth? 1.1 million people. In the 70 AD judgment, when the Romans took Jerusalem, there were 1.1 million Jews in Jerusalem. They killed them and they threw them into the valley of Hinnom. This is the very prophecy. This is the very place that was bought with Judas' money. That price. This is the very place where Judas' body was thrown. And then, and then after this, 40 years later, there's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, the prophecies are just amazing. This is in that valley, at the places where these two valleys cross, right there on the Hinnom side is where the bodies were buried, where the bodies were thrown. 1.1 million bodies, it says, until there was no place left to even bury them. They were just stacked up there. That's exactly what Jeremiah prophesied 650 years before the birth of Jesus. And all of this is coming to fulfillment. And you see, all of this, just God is just orchestrating this. Just amazing the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Now I want to look back and I want to start looking at some lessons from this. So turn back to Matthew. Turn back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to start reading. So look at this again. Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. How does that sound for a religious leader? You go to a religious leader, uh, I'm really feeling bad about something. Take care of that yourself. That's your business. 
Would you feel very welcomed in that church if the pastor did that? This is what the world can be like. Did you know that? I have seen people come to the Lord. I've seen people come to the Lord and then their lives sometimes get a little bit rough and they're like, well, I just want to go back into the world. I'm like, you want to go back into the world? You want to see what the world can be like? The world can be really, really mean. But what would take a man, what would take men who had dedicated their lives to taking care of people? They dedicated their lives to taking care of people. Come to this point of condemning a man to death, violating 22 of their own laws, which we've looked, like, looked at, while condemning him to death. Taking money out of the treasury, a man comes, needs help, and they just send him away. Why would a person do that? In fact, a person who has dedicated their life to teaching the Word of God to people and helping them. That's what these rabbis did. And now what I want to do is I want us to look at our own hearts. Because who among us has a heart that does not condemn us? Our own hearts condemn us to say how hard our own hearts can become. You know, I am amazed at my own heart. If I go one day where I haven't been able to sleep for a night or something, I mean, you can just lose sleep for a night and you can become really harsh toward others. You can become walking with, without any faith. And you can really begin to just turn. Your whole attitude can turn. And you become timid in your faith. I mean, so quickly our hearts can condemn us. You know, there are times in my life where I may have be really busy and I, I just haven't had the quality time with the Lord that I really want. I, I can feel myself getting really testy with people. What is it? Why? Do you ever get like that? And, 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 you know, even to the people that you love the most, you can do this. I mean, you can just get... And, and, and uh, you hear about somebody having a problem. You say, yeah, that's their problem. I got, my, I got my own problems. Busy enough. Don't our own hearts condemn us? that we can get just like this. And the Scriptures warn us about this. It warns us. And let me tell you how quickly it can happen. You go a few days. You go a few days without spending time with the Lord. You go a few days without reading the Scriptures and spending time in prayer and meditation in the Word of God. You go a few days and all of a sudden you will find your faith becoming very timid. You think, Why is all this happening to me? I don't know. Just go. Who's your faith? Don't you know God is going to fulfill His Word? Well, it's hard to see His Word fulfilled if we don't spend time with Him. And our hearts can immediately start becoming hard. You become really testy with people. I know, because I've seen it in my own life dozens of times. I'm telling you, dozens of times. I've seen it in my own life. You say, oh, this doesn't happen to you. Oh, I am the master of this. You don't want to see me if I haven't spent good time with the Lord. Shireen has seen me like this, and she doesn't want to see me like this. She just moves away. And my kids know me like this, and they just move away, and I hear them talking. Dad's in one of those moods. Just, just stay away from him. And, and they just all avoid me. 
Let's look in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to start reading from verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked Me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. So, Jesus, so, so the writer of Hebrews says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked Me. The Lord speaks, but it is so easy to harden our hearts. Verse 9, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. They always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren. So who is he speaking to? He's speaking to brethren. This means believers. This book of Hebrews was not written to unbelievers. It was written to believing Jews, Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. These were the Jews of Judea that lived around Jerusalem. This is who the writer is writing to. This is to brethren. So this tells us what we as believers can fall into. You say, oh, he's talking to unbelievers. No, he's talking to believers. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Isn't that interesting? I thought, you know what, I'm saved. The Holy Spirit has filled me. Yes. It's not a matter of loss of salvation. That's sure. Jesus has sealed that. But it's a loss of any fruitfulness for the Lord. You become very much like a person of the world, but even worse. You can become worse than a person of the world. Because you have the Holy Spirit filling your heart and now you're drifting away from the Lord. He says... Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We've become partakers of Christ. We can take Jesus' life upon us and to start to bear that out if we hold fast the truth that's been granted to us. We have to hold fast, not just on the day we get saved, but firm until the end we hold fast. He's saying to believers, watch your hearts. He says, take care with your hearts because it can become really hard, really fast. And this is why we need to be in fellowship. He says, you are to encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another. You don't want to say, well, I'm just tired of being around Christians all the time. I just stay away from them for a few weeks. That's the worst thing you can do. That's the worst thing you can do. Because he says that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will deceive you. You say, oh, it's okay to do this. Oh, it's just fine. Sin will deceive you and harden your heart. And before you know it, you can be just like those rabbis who people come to you and you're like, see to that yourself. Too busy. Our own hearts testify to us that this is true. 
And this is what He's warning us about. And that's why He says in verse 15 of that same chapter in Hebrews chapter 3, while it is said, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked Me. He said it just above there. Why do you have to say it again? I already heard you, Lord. He says it again. Because He knows our hearts. He says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked Me. Skip down to verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. He says, I have a rest for you, and they could not enter because of unbelief. Before you know it, you start walking in a state of unbelief. Oh, Jesus, He didn't really die for me. He doesn't really love me. And God, this is just a, God, just a figment of people's imagination. You'll, you'll see your mind will just start taking you to all sorts of places. And then, you'll get a picture of what your own heart is really like. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. When the life of Jesus fills you, then you start taking His characteristics upon yourself. You let your heart become hardened. And you start losing those characteristics very quickly. You don't lose your salvation, but you'll lose the characteristics of Jesus and your heart will become hardened. Turn over to to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. He says, you better walk in fear. Don't take this thing in a cavalier manner. He says, you could lose this. You can lose this very fast. You, you, You just walk away from spending time with the Lord, your heart will take you very quickly. That any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Verse 2, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. As some scriptures put it, that the word was of no value to them, for they did not combine it with faith. For those who heard did not combine it with faith. This word has been preached to us. We must combine it with faith. Verse 3, For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter, his re- enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. So the work that Jesus has done is done. It's finished. This writer is saying it's done. He's died for your sins. But you can very much walk in a place where you lose the rest of God. And when you walk out of that place of rest, you become scared very quickly. You'll think the whole world is against you and nothing can work. Nothing can work. Look, I'm in debt. I mean, how am I ever going to pay my bills? How am I ever going to get that car fixed? How am I ever going to do all this? And all of a sudden it's like, I just need to die. I just need to be like Judas and hang myself. I mean, this, this isn't working. And a week before that, you were just just bathed in faith. You still had all these things confronting you, but it wasn't affecting you because you were in a state of rest. You can lose that state of rest very, very quickly. Verse 7 of of Hebrews 4. He again fixes a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. He said it again. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he goes on down. He says, he says um, 
in, in, verse, in verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him whom we have to do. This is where He takes the Scriptures. You want to get into that place of rest, you pick up the Word of God. It says the Word of God is just going to go bam! It is going to go right in and slice you open. If you will read the Word, if you will take seriously the Word of God and read the Scriptures, God will speak to you. God will do something. If you take this as just being something passive, something for, for old people, you are the one who your heart will condemn you. Your heart will condemn you that it is wicked. Very quickly, your heart will condemn you. But if you will take this Word and allow it to speak into your life, then it says it will just open you up. It will split you. It will pierce you. It will divide between your soul and your spirit, both joints and marrow, and judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And you'll see, yikes, my heart is wicked. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. And boom! His forgiveness comes, and you will get up from that time, and you are a new man, a new woman. You will have the heart of a lion. You go from having a passive chicken heart to having the heart of a lion. When you pick up the Word of God and allow it to speak into your life. This is what He does. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. There are some here who are hearing this and rejecting it. I'm saying, your heart is very wicked you can very quickly be taken from this place. Your own heart is condemning you. Take the Word of God and begin to meditate on it. Say, Lord, speak to my heart. Speak to my life through this Word. He says there's no creature hidden. No creature hidden from His sight. This Word of God will speak into your life. You pick up the Word of God and you begin to read it and you say, Lord, speak into my life. And if you can't hear something from the Word of God, let me tell you why. You may be unsaved. You may be unsaved. And you say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and come into my life and save my soul. And open my mind to understand the Scriptures, which is a prayer right from the Scriptures. Open my mind. Open my heart that I may understand and then allow the Word of God to begin to speak to you because He would never tell us to pick up the Word of God and let it speak to us if it didn't work. Salvation is not a sham. It's true. You get saved, you receive the Lord and allow Him to speak into your life. Say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Maybe you've picked up the Word of God without praying. You think you can comprehend this. You can't. You say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. And it starts with salvation. You say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. And then you say, Lord, fill my heart. Wash me clean by the blood of Jesus. And then allow the Word of God to start speaking into your life. Or else our hearts become wicked really quickly. And we're of no good to anyone else 
and no good to ourselves either. Let's pray. Abba, thank You so much for Your Word, the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for these people here. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that You get a hold of their hearts, that they would not harden their hearts. Today, if they hear Your voice, they would not harden their hearts. But, Lord, that they would come before You And say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. And have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. That they pick up the Word of God and have that speak into their lives. And just split them right open. So that their hearts may become useful for you. Father, keep these young people from going astray, I pray. And as they go through seasons in their life where they sense their hearts becoming hard, that they would immediately remember back to this message and that they would get alone, take the Word of God, fall on their knees and say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Speak to me. Reveal my own heart to me and renew it, Lord. And then through that, that you would build them up in faith. Father, I pray that they would not be taken astray by the deceitfulness of sin. But Lord God, draw them to your Son. Have mercy on these young hearts, I pray. Have mercy on these young people. By the grace and the power of God, have mercy on them. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know You, who has never said, Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life, Lord, I pray this very day they would pray that prayer. That they would say, even in this moment, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And then as you fill their hearts, Lord, with the Holy Spirit, so teach them from your word. And I commit this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.